We come to the end here in Matthew 10. To the, it's the end of Matthew's description of, of Jesus' mission briefings to his disciples. Uh, these mission briefings most likely have been brought together by Matthew from different points in his ministry as he's kind of outlying, laying out Jesus' gospel mission, the gospel mission of King Jesus as we look at it. And we will see in chapters 11 and 12 much of the responses to this gospel mission. Um, but here we come to the close of Jesus informing his apostles of, of how they will be received and how their, their um, efforts in Christ's name, even amidst challenges, even amidst the pain of rejection of even their family members, how it is for Christ's glory and even for their good as well. So far we've seen that Jesus knows that he is a pretty big deal. And that's obviously an understatement. At this point in biblical history, to receive Jesus as Messiah meant everything. To receive the message that the king has come was to receive salvation. Of course, at our point in time in biblical history, living beyond on the other side of the cross and Jesus' resurrection, on the other side of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Uh, what it means to receive salvation is meaning to receive that Jesus has paid the price for our sins and has risen again, conquering death. But at this point in time, the gospel message of King Jesus is the King has come, Israel's Messiah is in the land. And we've seen Jesus' 12 disciples become 12 apostles to take his kingdom message and that it was worth the dedication of their lives and their livelihood and their comfort and their safety. And Jesus also knew that he was causing quite an uproar with the people that opposed him. And he's informing of them of this as we've seen in chapter 10. And he's been forewarning his disciples of what they would be facing in carrying his message. And so today's passage continues along the same vein. We pick up in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 10, where he says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father, and daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see in these verses really um, a, a change of expectation uh, and yet a, and a communication of expectation of what it means to follow Jesus even while those that are closest to you decide I can't be in relationship with you if this is where you are going. He continues on in verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. 
The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of water because he is a disciple, truly, I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So we, we look at these verses, as Brad has kind of pointed out, that, that we look at these as what to expect to change. And, and you kind of understand that Jesus is saying expect change. Expect change in ways that, that you never expected. Expect change in, in areas of your life that you always thought would be the same. There's lots of different opinions out there about what expectations uh, we should have, and how our expectations should affect us. One success coach said this. He said, positive expectations are the mark of a superior personality. You know, that's just kind of what you'd expect from some success coach. Um, <clears throat> where on the other hand, I read that one, one person says, there were t- are two ways to be happy. Improve your reality or lower your expectations. That seems uh, smart enough, too. Another really smart person says, I have a strategy. Why expect anything? If you don't expect anything, you don't get disappointed. These people are writing books. And, of course, one person just kind of glibly said, I find my life is a lot easier the lower I keep my expectations. You can take that for what it's worth. Jesus is telling us this morning is this. When you follow Christ, expect things to change. When you follow Christ, expect things to change. The first area that he addresses is in our relationships. He says, expect your relationship with Christ to change your relationships. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. This term for peace means a state of peace, a state of harmony. Harmony in personal relationships, specifically as it's used here. It was expected that the Messiah would bring peace. And eventually he would, he will at the end of time. This is why we sing at Christmas about Jesus being the Prince of Peace. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That is on its way. But Jesus is letting his followers know that the peace that he would bring wasn't in all relationships. Not at this time. And certainly the opportunity for peace with God is most important peace that Jesus brought. But he would cause division within many other relationships because of his impact on his disciples. He goes on in verse 35 to say, For I have come to set man against his father, and daughter against her mother, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Here's a fact. This is kind of the summary statement there in your notes. A relationship with Christ is more significant than any other relationship, and it may even cost some relationships. This is not J.D., the cult leader, you know, trying to separate you from your family or something like that. These are the words of Jesus that is saying, I'm going to 
cause division. And it's okay. Let me make something clear, though. Jesus is not saying that the purpose of his coming is to set members against each other. Okay? I can tell you that for sure because because where he says, when he says, I have come to set a man against his father, there's a word that he would use there that means in order to. Like the purpose of my coming is to cause this division. Now he's talking about that a result of my coming, the re, a result of the power of who I am is going to cause people to shun you. He's saying this is going to happen because of you being my disciple. In the same way, I don't believe that we are to be the ones that are against our family members here, okay? So the idea here is when he says uh, man against his father or daughter against her mother, the idea is the mother is following Christ and the daughter is saying, okay, fine then, I can't have anything to do with you. Jesus isn't saying, now that you follow me, you should consider your unsaved parents enemies or something like that. He's saying that relationships are going to change because of our following him. And the change that following Christ brings is often going to result in our unsaved family members even being disappointed with us. We'll understand this a little bit better in following verses. This comes up again and again in Matthew. But for now, I, I appreciate you know something is that only Warren Wearsby can put it this way. And Wearsby is just so great for kind of making statements that are like, okay, I can understand that. He says, we will be misunderstood and persecuted even by those who are the closest to us. Yet we must not allow this to affect our witness. It is important that we suffer for Jesus' sake and for righteousness' sake and not because we ourselves are difficult to live with. There is a difference between the offense of the cross and being an offensive Christian. The Prince of Peace has, has brought the opportunity for peace between us and God. But living in that peace with God often results in hostility from those who are not at peace with God. People that are not at peace inwardly have trouble being at peace with other people. That hostility can come from even the closest of family relationships, Jesus' forewarning. You know, Benjamin Franklin, one of our founding fathers, his son William became a chief leader of what was known as the Loyalists, those who were loyal to England. And from his base in New York, in New York City, his son William organized military units to fight for the British. And in 1782, William Franklin was sent into exile in Britain, and he lived in London until his death. The Civil War, there's, in the Civil War, there's many accounts of even brothers fighting, one for the North and one for the South. I read about two brothers that actually discovered that the, the, the volley of fire that they were sending toward the other side in battle, they realized, my brother is over there somewhere in those ranks. A little closer to home, brothers John and Henry McLaughlin 
uh, grew up in Indianapolis. But, but Henry McLaughlin moved to Florence, Alabama and found himself siding with the Confederates. In the Battle of Champion Hill on May 16, 1863, uh, the brother Henry, who was a Confederate, was actually uh, brought to a Union prison. He was actually captured by his own brother, John. It is not uncommon for families to be divided over ideologies, right? The 2020 election showed us that. COVID showed us that. This is not uncommon. The fact is that Jesus is the most worthy of being that divisive issue. The Prince of Peace has brought the opportunity for peace between individuals and God. But as I said, living in that peace with God often results in hostility from those who are not at peace with God. As grieving as it is for there to be family tension because of your following Christ, Jesus basically tells us that that's how it should be. That's how it's going to be. And this is because your relationship with Jesus should trump any other relationship. We find this teaching in verses 37 through 39, which we've read. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This isn't describing a situation where it's like, oh, you want a relationship with me? Well, uh, you better separate yourself from your your family members. That is not what's talking about here. That is what's talking about here is when I have really made an impact in your life, I am going to be enough. He says, Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. From these verses, I want to prepare you to expect your relationship with Christ to change your definition of success. When he talks about them being worthy of me, we saw this in in Jesus' mission briefing of his disciples when they were going to be on their Galilean ministry earlier in this chapter, where he talks about, you know, if if, um, you give a greeting to a home, And they receive that greeting. And that greeting would basically be, the king has come. He says, if you find that home to be worthy, stay there. This is the same term. It means to a good fit. A good fit for you. Fitting for it. Special enough. Receptive. We have a a statement of, you might... might, um, be staying over at a relative's house, and they say, oh, well, this is, this is the room you're going to be staying in. You say, oh, this is fit for a king. It's the same kind of idea. This is worthy of a king to stay in. And Jesus is saying, a home that I make my place, a heart that I make my home in, is going to be worthy in the sense that it's going to recognize that I am worthy of whatever sacrifice it calls for. And there are these five whoever statements that seem to turn expectations around in these verses here. Those who are living in a way that's fit for King Jesus are those who've changed their expectations of success. 
First of all, they don't love their family members more than Jesus. That is a hard statement, but this is what Jesus is talking about here. The reason why I think this is about redefining success is because of the cultural expectations of that day. Remember, you might recall the understanding that for, you know, it was, it was understood that a man would get married and then he and his wife and their kids eventually, they, they would basically be adding on to the family home. It would be multiple generations living in the same home or kind of like a compound type situation. And the tension there of one saying, we're waiting for the Messiah. And one couple within that, that, that extended family saying, no, the Messiah has come. The king is here. The kingdom of God is present. You could basically be saying, you know what? If you're going to keep this up, out. Go make your home somewhere else. It, it happened that a person would have, that often that a person has great expectations of close family relationships among maybe their adult siblings. You know, have you experienced that where you could, like as a kid you were like, man, it's going to be so great. I'm going to be, I, I think I'm going to live in one house and my, my sister's going to live next door and our kids are going to know each other and family gatherings are going to be awesome. And then you become a Christian. Or maybe your family member decides, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And your sense of what a successful adult family life looks like is laid on the altar. That's what I mean when I say, expect your relationship with Christ to change your definition of success. Secondly, we see here that those who are living in a way that, that are, is fit for King Jesus don't love their safety and security more than Jesus. We see this when it says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Our culture teaches us that we should do whatever we can to avoid pain and suffering. But our Lord went to the cross willingly and sacrificed himself for us. And Jesus' disciples, they, they wouldn't have necessarily understood what Jesus was saying here about following him, picking up a cross. We know that, that those who would be crucified, part of that uh, process was that they would carry their own beam with them. And, and Jesus later in Matthew will see him explaining that he is going to go to the cross and be crucified. And Peter is like, never will this happen to you, Lord. So we know that this wasn't really sinking in of what was going on, but they, they would have understood Jesus referring to embracing suffering and death, a death to our comfort, a death to our expectations. Jesus will state this in a positive sense in chapter 16 when he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And growing in Christ involves learning that every personal right is on the chopping block for Jesus' glory. Folks, the way we see our world turning on a dime, it's like the same people are trading in their signs and pulling out, you know, um, pro-Hamas, death to the Jews. 
those signs will come out as get rid of these Bible-believing Christians that quickly. Growing in Christ involves learning that every personal right is on the chopping block for Jesus' glory. We also see here that those who are living in a way that is fit for King Jesus don't love their understanding of the good life more than Jesus. He says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The success that we so often value is achieving comfort, achieving ease, right? Achieving downtime, me time, having more stuff, more relaxation, more relaxation, more me time. And there are those scenarios where we might be tempted to lean back and think, this is the life. Don't anybody mess with what I've finally set up here for myself. And then God messes with it. But Jesus sets his followers' expectations that those who find true life now are those who find it in him. You know, during medieval times, uh, it was only royalty that had access to indoor bathing and like warm water baths and things like that. But some of them still refused to bathe except for like once a month or maybe just a couple times a year. And there's debate on, you know, whether Elizabeth really said, I, I bathe, you know, once a year, um, whether I need it or not. But here's the deal. Many thought in those days that bathing, because the warm water would open the pores and kind of unclog the pores of grime and funk and stuff like that, that that this made their skin vulnerable to illness and that, that sickness could get into them through those open pores. So many of them actually avoided bathing. We want to say to them, that is not how it works. If anything, a good bath will keep you healthy. But that's the type of changing in thinking that we need regarding suffering. We tend to think that suffering for following Christ shouldn't be a part of the program. Like something is wrong here. I lost God's blessing. The truth is that it helps to cleanse us of the things in our life that could be harming our spiritual Sometimes it's like a good bath. So whether it be something that we choose to remove from our lives for God's glory or something that someone else is doing because of our following Christ, it can be for our cleansing and for our spiritual health. As yesterday's reading in Job, Job 36, Elihu said this, By means of their suffering, God rescues those who suffer, for he gets their attention through adversity. So kind of summarize this idea here. Success is found in sacrificing ourselves for Christ's glory, not in living for our family or living for a life of ease. 
Imagine that you've been looking for the perfect piece of furniture for your home, right? Maybe it's an antique armoire, right? And, and you finally found it like it's, it's kind of big enough that you might even find Narnia on the other side of it, right? And so, but you realize I'm going to have to rearrange this living room to fit it in here. Or maybe it's a hutch. And you realize this is the dream hutch that I always wanted, but now I'm going to have to buy a completely new dining room set in order to fit in here. But it's worth it, right? And some of you guys are like, JD, shut up. <laughs> All right, but, but uh, a man, you know, guys, what if you find the perfect all-in-one combo table saw, router, joiner, gun cabinet uh, with a 85 4K TV and a hot tub attached to it, right? Or you see somebody removing the roof of their garage so that a crane can like lift this off of a truck and lower it down in there. And you're you're thinking, man, that is worth it. You know, tear that roof off to get that thing in there. Jesus is telling us that he is a big enough deal that we should expect to change our life to fit him in there. Even if it might change our family relationships. Even if it changes our comfort. In fact, he's saying it will. It will. When when it comes between us and our unsaved family members, he's saying, I know it hurts, but I am worth it. He's also saying that he is worth every sacrifice that we make to follow him in trust and obedience. He's worth the pain, the humiliation, and the end of our earthly plans. He is going to change our understanding of what the good life truly is. And in comparison, it might look like we lost everything that's good. At least what we thought was good before Jesus changed us. But whatever we lose now, in the end, it will be seen that we gain it for the best for all of eternity. Lastly here, rather than being disappointed with the way Jesus describes um, all of our loss and all of our change, you can expect your relationship with Christ to change the way you think about his reward. He says, whoever receives you, speaking to his disciples that are carrying his kingdom message, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He says, the one who receives a prophet, here, here he kind of, so, so that's kind of the statement of the, that a relationship with God is what's brought into the home. When you, as his, as his apostles, he's telling them, when you walk into that home, when you walk into people's presence and say, the kingdom of God is at hand, the king has come, and when you're received, they're receive, not only are they receiving this message, they're receiving me. You know, we talk in terms of receiving Jesus as your Savior. That's what's going on in that day and age. And they're, so they're receiving that king, and, and he's letting them know. And they're also receiving a relationship with God. God himself, his presence, relationship, is the reward of them receiving your message. 
And then he kind of states a, a statement of fact uh, from back in Old Testament days. The one who receives a prophet, because he's a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And, and this reward that he's describing here, the term means recognition, mostly by God, in, in the cases used, in, in affirmation of, of a good deed done or a good thing that was done. And so he's kind of like a, you know how this works, a statement of fact that, that, that a home that would receive one of God's prophets into the home, that there was reward from God that came with it. And he's explaining how the reward that people will receive as they receive your gospel message is God himself. He goes on to say, and whoever gives one of these little ones, speaking of his disciples, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So notice how these statements are structured. One, Jesus tells just who is received when these disciples message is received the receptive of to be receptive of the disciples gospel message is to be receptive of Jesus and to be receptive of Jesus is to be receptive to a reconciled relationship with God and the reward of receiving the gospel is that reconciled relationship Jesus describes his disciples as being in a privileged position. The one representing Jesus is representing God. And the test of people is their receptivity of the message. The king has come. This is intended to, to be great comfort to those who are being either received or rejected. It's like it's worth it. Because I'm representing God himself. As his ambassador. And the point being made in the last verse is that the smallest kindness of hospitality will not be gone, gone that will not go unnoticed by God Himself. But when he talks about the smallest, the disciples being referred to as here as the little ones and, and the smallest cup of cold water. The triune God is fully invested in his gospel message and he is ready to bless those who participate in his work as it is being carried out by his ministers. So as that kind of summary statement in the notes there are this, receiving the gospel brings the reward of reconciliation with God and God further rewards his children who help with his gospel work. It's all being brought back to it is about Jesus and his message and our involvement in that. And it's worth sacrifice. It's worth the change of plans. You know, military medals provide recognition in this same way of reward. Recognition of a person's service beyond the call of duty. Each of the, the branches of the armed services have their range of military medals, and they each have their highest military medal. I know for, for the army, it's a, it's a cross of some kind. But the highest medal 
is, is not, it, it goes, uh, spans all of those branches of the military. It's the Medal of Honor or the Congressional Medal of Honor. So it's not the Army, me, uh, somebody want to tell me what the Army Cross is called? One of those is the Silver Cross. Anyways, sorry, I, I just wanted to give you an opportunity to correct my ignorance here. But um, the highest of all spans all of those medals. So the, the, mil, the, the, the Army's medal would be given by one of the highest Army officials. But the highest medal, the Medal of Honor or the Congressional Medal of Honor, is given by the Commander-in-Chief of all of the armed services, the President of the United States. This emphasizes it is the highest honor being presented by the highest military official. And the highest nature of that honor, that recognition, that reward is matched by the person who is involved in presenting it to that person who receives it. Similarly, the reward of receiving God's message and receiving God's messengers and being a part of God's mess, uh, kingdom work is that relationship with God himself and growth in that relationship with God himself as we unite our hearts and our lives in what he is doing. And being a part of his gospel work of the message of Christ is rewarded by God himself. That's what he's communicating here. The smallest act of hospitality toward the smallest of God's gospel representatives will be rewarded by the God of their gospel message. And I ask you, what are you doing to further God's gospel message? He cares about that. What if you had to lay down in honor of him in all the pain, in all the, the grief of it, to say, you know, Lord, you're worth it. What, have you, what are you doing to further his gospel message in your family, with your neighbors, or even here at Harvest in our participation with us? It's the most important thing that we can be a part of. Let's bow our heads together. Father, I thank you that you are worthy of the greatest of sacrifice. Lord, I don't know if there's, there's anything more painful than to have uh, the loss of relationship with one's family members. because we refuse to surrender our love for you or because you've changed us and now we just can't help being but being different. Lord, I thank you for your comfort that it doesn't go unnoticed by you. And the reminder, Lord, that that you are worthy of it. You are worth it. That there is reward in the end. And thank you, Lord God, that we can enjoy that reward now of relationship with you. 
We can look forward to that unbroken, unhindered relationship with you for all of eternity. Lord, we recognize that that here we sit on this side of the cross and the resurrection. We recognize, Lord, that, that it's more than just that the king has come, but that the king has come and sacrificed himself, that the king has paid the penalty of our sins, that the king has bridged that gap between us and you and provided a reconciled relationship with you in Christ. And Lord, if anyone here does not know what that means or know what that is like, I pray, Lord God, that they would be willing to yield, to bend their knee, to recognize that they cannot pay for their penalty of their sins themselves, that they need the work of Christ to benefit them, that they would ask you to be their father through Christ. Lord, thank you for allowing us to participate in your kingdom work. And we pray, Lord God, that you would align us individually and as a church body to be about what you are doing. Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.